Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Well, church, this morning I'd like to start our Bible study off with a story about me being scared to death. Now, maybe you have your own story of going, Pastor, I know what it means, so I was scared to death. But this was, and this happened to me, and it happened to me when I was about five years old. I was about five years old, and and I mean, you go, how do you remember something at five? I remember, because this was traumatic. You go, what was it? uh, What was it? Well, now listen, okay, so growing up without a mom, right? My mom passed away when I was just an infant. It meant that my dad had to take on the household responsibilities, the cleaning, the cooking, and the grocery shopping. And of course, one of those responsibilities was the grocery shopping. So each week, guess what we would do? We would jump into his truck and we would head down to the local grocery store. We're going to get groceries for the week. Now, As soon as we entered the store, you could imagine my dad had his routine. You go, what was his routine? Well, like like most parents, he would start, he'd get the buggy, and and I was big enough, I didn't ride in the buggy anymore, and he would start down aisle one, and he'd just go through. I mean, he didn't have a list, he didn't have anything, he'd just go down aisle one, and he'd get what he needed, right? And uh, unfortunately, to this day, that's kind of what I do, just learning that. He'd go down aisle one and come back aisle two and go down aisle three and he'd get everything we needed. Well, I knew his routine. Now, I knew that down on aisle 10 was where they kept the toys. That's what I knew. And in those days, guys, in those days, the stores had a pretty extensive toy aisle. I mean, it was pretty cool, right? So as soon as we'd walk in, I remember I would dash off to aisle 10, I wanted to see the latest and greatest, the new G.I. Joes or whatever toys they had. I mean, I would just sit there and I mean, I would just, and, and basically what I would do is I would look at the toys until I knew that my dad was getting close to getting to where I was. Now, there are two things I knew that the grocery store had. You go, what's that? I knew they had a toy aisle and I knew they had a cereal aisle, right? That's all I needed to know. Right now, my dad would get cornflakes and he would get Cheerios and he would get Wheaties. Now, my job, my job was I could get any sugar cereal that I wanted. Okay. No matter what. Now, the problem with that is, is that I think they put the cereal aisle opposite side of the toy aisle, but I looked at the cereal. It didn't matter what sugar cereal it was as long as it had a good toy in it. I remember looking and, and you'd pick it up and whatever it was, you're like, nah, that's not a fun toy. So the manufacturers knew how to get kids to buy cereal, put in a good toy. Now, let me just give you a side note, right? Whatever sugar cereal we bought was probably gone in three days. You know, that's why he bought the rest of the other stuff. And you just kind of have to live with the cornflakes and so forth. Well, one day it happened. You go, what happened? My dad and I jumped in the truck drove to the store. Of course, I got out, ran to the toy section, began perusing each toy and looking. And for some strange reason, church, I felt like I needed to go find my dad. You go, why was that? Well, I had this strange feeling come over me that that I was left alone in the grocery store. And that maybe, maybe he had finished shopping and that he had already left. And I had this just overwhelming, just feeling like I need to find him. And as I began to think about it, maybe y'all can relate a little bit. As you begin to think about it, something called panic mode set in. You go, what happened? Well, I left the toy aisle and I sort of nonchalantly jogged back to aisle one. But to my horror and surprise, dad wasn't there. You go, what? So I sort of going, okay, well, maybe I missed him. And I ran back. Now, now understand, guys, when I'm running as a five-year-old, I'm looking down each aisle, but I'm looking, thinking where he's at. So I go down one. I don't see him. Now I'm in a full-blown panic. I run back to the Syria aisle. Nope, no dad. Now, I am in a full sprint up and down the aisles in the front of the store, looking at the aisles, trying to find my dad, and I couldn't find him complete fear had entered in my heart. And I remember I started to cry. 
I began crying, wondering at this point why that he would leave me at the store. And things in my mind were like, did he just forget about me? Right? What, what, did he just forget? Did, you know, did, did he not remember? Did he have a lot on his mind? Was I too much for him? And you're thinking all of these stuff. What if he, what if he left me on purpose? And listen, it was, it was with fear and panic and tears. I went looking once again and all of a sudden, as I looked down probably aisle three or four, I saw him turning the corner to come down that aisle. And I ran over to where he was. He looked at me with this kind of confusion, wondering why I was crying. And then I explained to him that I thought he had left me. You see, I had a sudden attack of what we would call separation, anxiety. Oh, no, not like the kids, not like leaving the child at the daycare for the first time. This was, oh, my goodness, I think my dad left me. Now, to be honest, I don't think I ever went to the toy section alone ever again. And looking back now, you you would say, well, Ben, that's really silly. Your dad would never leave you alone in a big store like that, but to a five-year-old's heart, it was a very real thing. It was so dramatic, I still remember it to this day, and I still remember in my little mind running up and down looking scared to death. As we come to the message this morning, if you're taking note, you can find it on your bulletin. I'm, I'm calling this message Separation Anxiety. Here's why. For today, guys, we discover two people in the Word of God that had a separation from God in life and in death. And here's what we want to grasp. Here's the nugget we want to take home. It changed their life forever. Separated. Now, before we jump into our stories, okay, we're going to talk about two. The Bible talks about seeing and not being able to see, hearing and not be able to hear. Sometimes we get so familiar with the story of Samson or sometimes we get so familiar with the story of Dives that we just kind of go through it and we just, oh yeah, I've read that. But but here's what I'm asking, guys. Here's what it means. It means that we're just so much familiarity that we forget to miss and, and we miss what God wants us to hear. So... Let's take a moment quietly in our hearts and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us in this in these stories. Now, before we jump into our stories, let's take a quick look at what the prophet Isaiah, his take on what it means to be separated from God. Okay, Isaiah 59 is where we should be. We're not going to go through a whole lot, but let me give you a little bit of background so you know what's going on and why Isaiah writes this. The text is from, really, it's called the, major, ma, the third major section of the book of Isaiah, chapters 56 to 66. And many scholars have concluded that these chapters reflect, now listen, reflect the situation of the community of Israel following the return from Babylon, their exile back in about 538 B.C. So you go, what does that mean? Okay, okay, so following the return, remember they were taken captive into Babylon, now they're coming back. Well, the people, as they came back, they faced a new crisis. Now, here's what I want you to see. Let it penetrate and see if, you, if we're talking about our world today. You go, how so? Well, Israel comes back, they have no city walls, okay? Um, their marauding bands of outlaws threaten them, no central government... There was very little leadership, which means, which means the enforcing of the laws, with no temple, religious life, basically apathy, indifference, cynicism grew until the people began to lose sight of who they were as God's people. You go, well, how did they live? Because of that, they began to live careless, and basically, this is, they lived, they lived careless on, 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 on who they were as the people of God, and here's what they do. They began to doubt the future that God had promised them. So that's, that's really the context. They were, they were, again, going, I don't know where we should go. I don't have a future. What's going on? Is God, are you really there? We have no temple. We have no walls. We have no laws. And so that's the context of what Isaiah is writing. 
Now, in the passage, guys, Isaiah deals with three things if you're taking note. Number one, he's going to talk about sin. He's going to talk about confession and redemption. Now, we're not going to jump too much into this, but we're going to see. Now, we're going to land, and we're going to talk about verse 2. But notice with me, Isaiah 59, verse 1, the prophet writes, he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot here. Now, I know uh, the group of you, but this is a good place for an amen, right, Joe? Because that's, that's what the Word of God is saying. Now, now listen, I understand in context, he's saying this. He's saying, listen, uh, Israel, an, on a physical note, I've saved you. I've redeemed you. I've brought you back to Israel. You were in Babylon. You were in the world. Come on back, right? And so Isaiah writes this, and it's so exciting. He says, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. And for us, spiritually, we go, Amen. And here's what I love about this, guys. There's not a single person that is walking this face of the earth that God cannot save. And that's so cool. And you go, why? Because we, we, we think there's people that we write off all the time. Oh, God can't save. Now, he's way gone, man. He's just out of, look at him. And we see the drug addict and the strung out and all these people and all. And we, no, 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 listen, listen. God, God's arm is not shortened that he cannot save. As long as there's breath, there's hope nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But look at verse 2. He turns to Israel and he says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Why? Tell me why. Verse 3. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue has muttered perversity. Wow. I mean, Isaiah just kind of tells it how it is, doesn't he? Now, now notice verse 2. That's where we're going to kind of land, right? That's how we're going to springboard into our stories. But he says, now, here's, here's what's going on, okay? God is ready to save. He says, but there's a problem. The problem is sin. And sin is what has separated us from God. He says, your iniquities, your sin has separated us from God. Your sins, guys, have hidden his face. And I don't think we understand that in our walks with God. I don't think we, we truly grasp. Now, now listen, I know there are times because, because we are sinners that we're going to sin. We're going to have a bad attitude. We're going to, we're going to, uh, you know, whatever it might be. We're going to, we're going to bark at our loved ones or we're going to say something we don't mean. I get that. But what we're talking about here, guys, is he says this. He says that when we sin, when we commit iniquity, It separates us from God. First John 1 John 1.9 obviously is a remedy for that. Just confess that quickly. He's faithful and just. But it separates us. Now, according to Isaiah, there's no specific instances of wrongdoing. But it comprises a, a general indictment against the people but you know how it started? You ready? If you're taking notes, jot this down. It's compromise. That's what they started to do. They came back and they began to compromise in their walk. They weren't as fired up for Jesus as they were anymore. They weren't as fired up for God. They began to compromise just a little bit. So, as we transition from this text, the question that we need to ask is this. You ready? What happens to us when we're separated from God? What happens? What happens when we're separated? Well, today, we discover two men who had separation anxiety from God. Now, here's the thing, church. I believe that we can really relate to them because, here's why, our world, we see the very, very same thing. Now, if you're taking note, jot this down. What life looks like when we're separated from God in this life. This is what life looks like when we're separated from him on earth. You know, some people might say, it, it, I remember my BC days. You guys remember before Christ? This is what it was when we were separated before we came to know the Lord. Or, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of the world we live in. You go, what's that? It's, it's those that claim to be born again and yet live like they're separated from God each day. That's the first point. 
what life looks like, guys, when we are separated from God in this life. Number two. What life looks like, you ready? When we are separated from God in the life to come. We call it eternal life. Now, let me let you on on a sobering thought. You ready? Everyone in this room has been given eternal life. I don't know if you know that or not. But where you spend it is up to you. Everyone in this room is given eternal life. You go, what does that mean, Pastor? You realize that that one day this body is going to stay here on earth, but you are going to live forever. What? You've been given eternal life. Now, where you spend it, you can spend it with God or you can spend it separated from God. But that's up to you. So, let's say goodbye to Isaiah, guys. And let's turn to Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14. Let me introduce you to a fella that most of us know, or at least we've heard of, right? You go, who's that? It's the fella by the name of Samson. You guys remember Samson. Now, let me just kind of paint a picture of Samson real quick, okay? A lot of us think that Samson looks like the Hulk, right? He's just like, right? I don't believe that. Why? Because if, if that's what Samson looked like, then he would be, he would be dependent on his own strength, and his own muscles. I think he was just an ordinary guy. He's just an ordinary, you know, just a normal, good-looking, ordinary guy. And this is what this is what life looks like when we're separated from God here on earth. You ready? Samson, who was he? First and foremost, guys, he was the last of the judges of ancient Israel mentioned in the Hebrew Bible. You know, I remember Samson. Samson was given immense strength. Do you guys remember that? It's just super duper out of control strength against his enemies, and it allowed him to form glorious feats such as killing a lion, slaying an entire army with a jawbone of a donkey, destroying a temple of the Philistines with his bare hands. I mean, this dude was strong. He was brutally strong, but he, but he was also he was also chosen. You see, he was a Nazarite. You know what a Nazarite is? From birth, he had taken the Nazarite vow. Okay, in ancient Israel, those wanting to be especially dedicated to God for a time could take a Nazarite vow. What did it mean? Well, let me just give you the top three. But number one, it meant that you had to abstain from wine or strong drink particularly grapes in the whole area. You couldn't cut your hair. You couldn't bring a sh- basically cutting your hair or shaving. So obviously Samson probably had a beard much like Doug Dynasty, I guess. I don't know, real long, right? He couldn't do that. And guys, you could not, well, you had to stay away from deceased things, any dead bodies. Well, what would it be like for us? Well, you couldn't, you'd have to stay away from wine and drink, you couldn't cut your hair, and you couldn't go to funerals. That's basically it with, with, with a dead body. And that included men and animals. Now, here's the point that you have to get, guys. Samson was a Nazarite from birth. You with me? He, he, had, he had made a vow. His parents had made a vow from birth. So Samson never knew a day without the Lord in his life. He, he, he just never knew that. Until the day he met a gal. You guys remember who this gal was? Delilah. And we know the story. Now, for the sake of time, I can't go through every single verse from chapters 14 through 16. But let me just kind of go through what he says. First and foremost, we find Samson in chapter 14. And he was smitten with a girl from Timnah. You know what I mean? He wasn't, I mean, we use the word smitten, but he was hubba hubba. He was in love. He said, I've, I've got to have her. The problem was is that she was a Philistine, okay? Two different, you talk about a girl from the wrong side of the tracks, okay? This was somebody like, uh-uh. No, she was a Philistine, right? Those were Israel's enemies. You just didn't, you didn't go and date the enemy. 
And, and Samson's like, whoa, did you see her? And so he tells his mom and dad, mom, dad, plead. He pleaded with them to marry among, and, 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 and he pleaded, and, and, and his mom and dad go, please, 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 couldn't you, couldn't you just marry somebody from our side of the family? Listen, here are the train tracks, Sam. Sam, here are the train tracks. Marry from this side. You know what Sam's original quote was? Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Mom, Dad, I don't care what you say. I don't care what our heritage is. I don't care about the vow. I want her. I want her. Well, guys, it's in the book of Judges, so we know that basically the law had already said, hey, listen, don't, don't, don't marry. Don't intermarry. Don't, uh, not intermarry. Don't, don't marry your enemies. Stay within the clan. Don't do this. So, so we can see a little bit here what Samson is doing. And you're going, what? It's the beginning of compromise. It's the beginning of compromise. What is Samson doing, church? Listen, I want you to see how this relates to us. First of all, Samson says, wow, he's looking at her and says, she pleases me well. So without walking by faith or the vow or who he was, he's following his his eyes. Mom, dad, look at her. That looks really, really good. Go get her for me. So guess what? Mom and dad, okay, Sammy, okay, whatever you want, Hito boy. So there you go. And so they get him, right? And so, so on his way to Timna, on the way to his wedding, if you will, guess what happens? This young lion comes roaring out against Samson, right? Look at verse 6 with me real quick. It says, then the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore that lion apart as if he had torn a young goat though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father and mother what he had done. Do you guys see what happened? There he is, he's walking, he's going to his wedding to this, he should have been doing this, but there he goes. This lion comes out. The spirit, everybody see that? The spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And all of a sudden he just takes that lion and he goes, done. Knocks him out, right? One, two punch. It was this, it, here, here's what's funny part. When, when we hear about Samson, what do we think? Well, oh, his hair, his hair, because of chapter 16. But it was the spirit of the Lord that came upon him that, what's that? Guys, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. This happens three times in the next two chapters, chapters 14 to 16. So we know that Samson is filled with the spirit of God and his strength comes from God. Do you realize that? Oh, 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 listen, listen. The Spirit of God is giving Samson supernatural physical strength. This young lion, I mean, think about this. The, lion, the lion's roar is enough for me to run. Not for Samson. Why? Because he had physical strength, took him, done, lion is dead, take that, right? But what I need is not so much my battle against a lion, I need his physical, I need his spiritual strength in my life. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Why? Guys, listen, let me give you a nugget of truth, okay? Take your nugget, put it in your pocket. Listen, the Holy Spirit of God wants to come upon us to give us power for something more important than than ripping a young lion. The Holy Spirit comes upon us, guys. You ready? for the empowering to live for God the way we should and the power to tell others about Jesus more effectively. That's the point. But let's take it one step further. Oh, oh, why? Because, guys, I want the Spirit of God to live for him every single day. Amen? Is not, is not the world bombarding us? Is there not a, a battle going on between your walk with God and the world? Absolutely. But there's got to be more, right? Oh, is it more than effectively witnessing for Jesus? No, that's what we should be doing. We should be effectively witnessing for Jesus. We should be going out to lunch after church and telling the waitress how much God loves her or God loves him. But it's got to be deeper. 
Let me say this to you, church, and I've said it a thousand times, and you know this. Life is fragile, and I need his strength to get through every single thing and every single day. I can't do it on my own. I want to run. I want to hide. And you guys know what I'm talking about. I need the Spirit of God to just fill me so that I can have the strength of God to wake up and do what he wants me to do. But when life comes in like a flood, when life comes in like a tidal wave, I need him to be my foundation. Church, I don't have anything else. You don't have anything else. Oh, oh, pastor, I'm going to hang on to my family. Well, that's great. Family is important, but that's not going to be your strength. That's not going to sustain you. Well, pastor, I'm going to call on my friends. I mean, I can call friends and I can ask him to do this. That's great. Wonderful. Have friends, but that's not going to sustain you through those, through those hard times. You know that. Samson, he has physical strength. We need, we need spiritual strength. Well, as the story goes, church, Samson, much like us, well, he begins to compromise. What does he compromise? Well, he starts to compromise his values, and he starts to compromise his vows. His vows. You go, what do you mean? In order to get to Timnah, guess where he had to walk through? He had to walk through, he had to walk through the vineyards. You go, Pastor, vineyard? I mean, come on, how is that, how is that compromising, Right? Well, let's just say this. Now, I'm standing over to the side. It's just my opinion. It's not the word of God. But he was headed to a wedding in Timnah. We can naturally assume that at the wedding, they were having wine. It's his wedding, right? How much? How many times do we compromise? Hey, well, it's just, you know, Samson's walking out and he's going, YOLO, give me some wine. You only live once. Let's go. He's starting to compromise his, his vow. And I and I'm at this point got to stop and go. Wow, Lord! You know where Samson ends ends up? He ends up in the Valley of Sorek, which means fertile vineyards. So here's the thing: the Bible doesn't say that he actually drank wine. Can I can I say that? But naturally, we can assume he's compromising because, listen, if you are an alcoholic, you don't hang out at the bars. We go, why? It's too much of a temptation. It's too much of a temptation. It's so easy to, to, to go. That's the same thing. Samson, you, you made a vow, Samson. It's a Nazarite vow. Stay away from grapes. Stay away from vineyards. Stay away from wine. Why are you walking through the vineyards, Samson? It's too much of a temptation. Well, that's Sammy for us. We know he began to compromise, why? Because he touched a dead body. You go, he did? Was there a funeral? Remember he killed the lion? Well, later he came back, saw the carcass there, and guess what was in the carcass? Some honey. Right? And so he walks over, not supposed to touch a dead body, looks at the dead lion, says, take that sucker. And then all of a sudden he gets some honey, and now all of a sudden he's compromising his vows, is he not? What's left? What's left? Well, he still has his hair. He still has his hair. Church, listen. When it comes to separation anxiety, jot this down. Separation from God in our spiritual life starts with compromise in our walks. Separation from God in our spiritual life always starts with compromise in our walks. That's what happened. You see, that's exactly what's going to happen with Samson. You could say we relate to Samson because there's a lot of us who, well, guys, think about it. We, we have our own vows. You go, what do you mean? Guys, when, when, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, it's your vow that you're going to follow him, that you are now, your vow is now that you are the bride of Christ. You have your vows. And when you begin to compromise those vows to the living God, it's when now you can start feeling that separation anxiety. You go, how so? Well, look at Samson, okay? 
chapter 16, we see progressive compromise, if you will. The only vow that Samson hasn't broken was the cutting of his hair, but notice his first compromise. Chapter 16, verse 6 and 7, he's met Delilah, and so Delilah said to Samson, could you imagine, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Now, we know who she is, right? She's just in it for the bucks, right? The Philistines say, listen, we want to capture Samson. Tell me what you need to do. And so Delilah is batting her eyes. And she's got Samson under her spell, and she says, tell me what... I mean, think about it. So what does Samson say? You know what Samson should have done at this point? He should have left, right? He should have taken a lesson from Joseph and said, I am out of here. See ya, right? Wouldn't want to be ya. And he should have left, but he didn't. Look, he dialogues with her. And Samson said to her, well, baby doll, sweetie, sugar lips, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried... Then I'm going to become weak, like any other man. And you guys know the story, right? I don't have time to get into it. She does exactly that. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he goes, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He breaks through the seven fresh bowstrings. Look at that's the first compromise, right? He started to dialogue with her. Look at, look at compromise number two, verses 10 and 11. It says, then Delilah said to Samson, look, you can imagine her voice, you have mocked me and you've told me lies. Now, please tell me what, what you may be bound with. Samson, get out of there. And so Samson said to her, well, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used. Okay, so you need ropes that have, go down to the hardware store, give me some ropes that have never been used. And when you bind me with those, then I'm going to become weak like any other man. That's compromise number two, right? Because she goes, she calls the Philistines. She goes, go down to Big Joe Hardware. Bring me some ropes that have never been used. Let's tie Samson up. And then all of a sudden she says, the Philistines are upon you. And he breaks through. And the Bible says it's just like thread. I put him fire to the poof. The third compromise comes in verse 13. Delilah said to Samson, until now you've mocked me and you've told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. Now, he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the loom, into the web of a loom. So where is he going? He went from ropes to his compromises, getting closer, getting closer. Not that the hair provided strength but that the vow is about to be broken. Getting closer. Look at the fourth and final compromise, verse 17. That he told her all that, it is, that was in his heart, and he said to her, okay, Delilah, here's the truth. No razor has ever come upon my head. For I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. And if I'm shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak like any other man. Guys, guys listen, listen. Samson didn't get up one morning after, after having just a really good walk with Jesus. He didn't get up one morning and say, okay, that's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defy you, Lord. I'm going to go the other way. I just, I just, no, thank you. God, I'm not going to pray to you today. I know I prayed to you last night, but today's a brand new day. I'm walking away from you. That's not how it happens, church. It started very slowly and very subtly. And the application that we need to grasp, guys, is we need to guard our hearts and we need to guard our walks from compromise. Okay? We don't flirt with the Delilahs of the world. We don't flirt with them and say, oh, well, if you just do this, he, 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 and, and then show our strength. Because then it ended up where Samson told the whole truth, didn't he? She realized that Samson had told him everything that was in his heart. And look at, look at the, one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. And then she lulled him to sleep on her knees. She called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then, he, then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. 
And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And so he awoke from his sleep and he said, I will go out before at other times and shake myself free. Notice this last part, guys. Go ahead and underline it. It says, but he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. And this is very sad. He didn't even know. He compromised so much that he woke up and he said, I'm going to do what I've normally done. And he didn't know that God had departed from him. There's that separation. Where did it start, church? It started with him looking. Hey, did you see that girl in Timnah? It started, and, and where did it end up? Do you realize the Philistines gouged out his eyes? I find that interesting. Uh, for the sake of our study, we can't dig too deep into that. But I think in our lives, guys, we, we know what separation anxiety is, and you go, what's that? It's... It's, it's living a life of compromise to where all of a sudden we don't even realize that we don't have the Lord in our lives anymore. Samson woke up one day and realized, God, I, don't even, I didn't even know you were gone. You know how he knew? He didn't have the strength. He had broken his vows. One of the greatest lessons, guys, of this story, it comes at the end. You go, why? Because here's where I find hope. God had departed from Samson, but God never really left him. Because Samson said, position me, and, and he, the Lord, the Holy Spirit came upon him again, the Spirit of the Lord, and he pushed, and the Colosseum fell, and Killed a lot of Philistines and Samson as well. Guys, the, the Lord's not going to leave you. But he might depart from you from your daily walk. If you continue to compromise. Well, guys, that's, that's, that's being separated from God in this life. But what happens what happens if we die and we're separated from God? Say goodbye to Judges and go over to Luke. Luke chapter 16. You should already be there, but uh let's let's check it out. Luke 16 we're picking up our story in verse 19. This really is a tale of two men, if you will. One who left this earth knowing God, and another who left this earth separated from God. Okay? Point number two, what life looks like when you're separated from God in the life to come. You go, eternal life. Okay? If you're taking note, here it is in verse 19, it says, there was a certain who? A certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. I think that's pretty cool. I'm going to ask Josh to write a song about faring sumptuously. I mean, that's just a neat word, right? But, but nonetheless, he says, here, here's the first one. He's a rich dude. He has money. He's clothed in purple, right? And you go, what does that mean? He has everything he could ever want in this life. He ate well. Listen, he didn't have potted meat and crackers for dinner. He had steak. He had filet mignon. That's what he had. Why? Well, the contrast in verse 20, it says, There was a certain beggar named Lazarus. He was full of sores, and he laid at the rich man's gate, desiring simply to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. That's all he wanted. Give me something to eat. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was one day that the beggar died, notice, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Notice the next line. The rich man also died and was buried. Okay? It doesn't say that anyone came and carried him. It just says that he had died and was buried. Okay? Now you have a tale of two people. 
Okay, this is the word of God. You have one, okay, who was a beggar but knew the Lord. You have the rich man who didn't know the Lord. And he also died. Look at verse 23. But being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip his of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Why? For I am tormented in these flames. So, guys, a lot we can grasp here. Why? Okay, so now all of a sudden, the rich man is in somewhere, and it says he's being, he's being tormented in Hades. You go, well, is, that, is that hell? Well, Jesus described Hades, it's also called Sheol in the Old Testament, and basically, Hades is this place, okay, it's this place that we go when we die. When you know, okay, now you say we, this is before Jesus was resurrected, when you died in the Old Testament, you go to this holding place called Hades. Now, Hades is comprised of two compartments, one is called Abraham's bosom, and the other is just basically Hades. Lazarus dies and he goes to Abraham's bosom, right? All the, all the Old Testament saints were there. So Moses was hanging out, David, right? They're all hanging out there. And, and all the Old Testament saints, right, are hanging out in Abraham's bosom. They knew the Lord. They're waiting. Those who didn't know the Lord went to the other part, being tormented, it says, Right? So much so that he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off. And he, and he sees Lazarus there and he remembers that this is the dude that used to beg at my gate. What's going on? And he sees, whoa, what's going on? And he realizes, and let me just say this to you right now, church. You realize the moment you take your final breath where you're going to spend eternity. There's no going, I, I wonder if I'm going, am, is this heaven? You know how we see the movies, is, is this heaven? I think so. Am I dead? No, you'll know. You'll know. The Bible says to be, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The problem is, is that you may see the Lord face to face, but that's not where you may end up in e- to spend eternity. And so all of a sudden, he's in what? He's in Hades. He sees Abraham. But notice what he says. I want you to catch this, okay? The rich man says, Father Abraham. This, right off the bat, I mean, think about this. This just says, listen, your heritage is not going to save you. This, he was a Jew. Only the Jews called Abraham father. I'm Jewish. You see, the Jews used to think that, that Hades was, was created for who? The Gentiles. And that there was angels there. If you were a Jew, you would not go there. Now all of a sudden, he's there. He's there. And he's saying, have mercy on me, Father Abraham. And all he wants is what? All he wants is a notice that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. That's all he wants to cool his tongue. Why? For I am tormented in this flame you talk about separation anxiety church listen here's here's the bottom line you ready to leave this world without without jesus is to be separated from god forever you go ben well i I, i've got a question was was the rich man was a rich man in torment because he was rich well absolutely not because if that were the case it would be a contradiction because Abraham was even richer. Abraham was shown righteousness. The rich man was named Dives, but Abraham was far richer than Dives could have ever been. You go, well, what was the sin? Well, you know that the sin of the rich man, obviously, was that he was selfish. All he lived for was himself. 
guys, think about it. You go, well, Ben, I got a question. Does, is, uh, is Hades the lake of fire? Well, a lot of us usually think that, but let me tell you what happened real quick, and then we'll finish our story, okay? Number one, when Jesus resurrected, before when he died, remember the Bible says that he ascended, he descended first. Where did he go? He went to Abraham's bosom, right? Two compartments. And so he saw the Old Testament saints. He goes, guys, I'm here. You guys ready to go home? And every one of them, he left captivity captive, okay? So, so if you die today, you're going to go to where this rich man, without Jesus, you're going to go to where, this rich, where the rich man is. But the other part of Abraham's bosom is empty because Jesus already took the Old Testament saints. If you die and you know Christ and you've given your heart to him, you don't even go there. You can go straight to where Jesus is. And so it's not the lake of fire. One day, here's what God's going to do. He's going to take those in Abraham's bosom, or I mean in Hades, Sheol, right? He's going to take those and he's going he's to put them in the lake of fire. So not only are you tormented before that, according to Revelation, you're going to spend eternity in a lake of fire. Abraham, help me. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus, evil things. And now he's comforted and you're tormented. And besides all this, between us, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here cannot, nor those who from here or from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. He's saying, please, go tell my family. Please tell my family. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Basically, Moses and the prophets means they have the word of God. They have the Bible. And he said, no, Father Abraham, if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither they will be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And isn't that true? Isn't that true? Guys, let's close with this. <clears throat> Guys, both men represent mankind. Am I speaking the truth? There are some today who the Lord has departed from. And they don't even know it. They've compromised their walk. And to them, life is always the same. But there's hope in the Lord Jesus, right? We need to confess and repent and come home. God is always saying, okay, listen, listen, I've never left you, but your compromise and your sin has separated us. But here's my heart, guys. There are some today, like the rich man, they've never put their faith and trust in Jesus. And they're going to be separated from God, not only here, but eternity. But listen, giving your heart to Jesus means more than just saying a prayer. It means you've had an encounter with the living God. Way back in the day, there used to be an old commercial it was the American Express commercial. Do you remember that? It said, don't leave home without it. Guys, the one thing that the Word of God always tells us is don't leave home without Jesus. Don't leave home without him. Let me leave you with this story, okay? I heard a story of a Christian man who was terminally ill on his deathbed. Knowing he had little time, he called his three boys to his bedside, two of whom were believers. To his sons who had trusted in Christ, he said to them, Goodbye, boys. I'll see you in the morning. Then he turned to the third son, who wasn't a Christian. With sadness in his voice, the father said, Goodbye, son. The boy was distressed. Dad, Dad, why didn't you say to me, See you in the morning, to, 
see you in the morning to my brothers, but not to me. And the father said, son, it's because you've never asked Jesus Christ into your life to be your savior. And what breaks my heart is that I will never see you again. The boy began to weep and said, but dad, I want to see you again. Then you need to trust in Christ right now, he said. And that's what the young man did. He prayed and he accepted the Lord so that his father could say to him as well, I'll see you in the morning. And that is our hope. Let me ask you this, church. Let me ask you this question, church. Will I see you in the morning? Have you put your faith in Christ? Father, we thank you for your word today and the truth in your word, Lord. And we thank you for your great love. And Lord, because this is an evangelistic message, Lord, I I pray that everyone in this room is right with God. But, But it wouldn't be fair if I didn't ask. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, could I just ask you a question? Are you right with God? Have you given your life to Jesus? I don't want you to be separated for eternity. If you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit has been knocking in your heart, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to just say, Pastor, will you pray for me? And all you have to do is just lift your hand and say, I just want to be right with God. That's all you got to do. If you're not right with God, will you just lift up your hand and say, I don't want to be separated from him. I want to, I want to follow him. I know, I, I don't know if I'm saved or not, but I want to be saved. Will you do that right now? Just want to give you an opportunity real quick. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord for your great love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.